actually a wrong turn. Why I even went down the road, I have no idea. A drug dealer and addict, Anthony Robinette had no intentions of pulling into a church parking lot. That's where I heard uh, a voice. My whole life changed right there. Anthony was raised by his mother and stepdad, but didn't know his biological father. He grew up going to church with his stepfamily, but felt like an outsider. I always noticed there was something different. I just sort of felt, you know, nobody really um, cared or um, I just didn't, I didn't feel that love. So Anthony began looking to fit in elsewhere. You start getting with crowds where you feel like, you know, well, they like me, they accept me, and, and then you start doing the things they're doing. Anthony was 12 when he started stealing, fighting, and smoking marijuana. By the time he was 15, he was snorting cocaine. When I first got introduced, really, to drugs, I was doing them at the time, trying to fill the void, and some of it was a way to numb my pain. So I sort of just left home, began staying at you know whoever's house I could, and I felt like the streets were more accepting than, than, than that roof was at my house. At 18, he found out the streets were just as harsh. A fire in town had been ruled an arson, and one of Anthony's so-called friends accused him as being the one responsible. Anthony was arrested and later found guilty. Facing 40 years in federal prison, and now I'm sitting behind bars questioning God because I'm like, if, if he's real, he knows I'm innocent, why, why would I be here? So if that's you know, got anything to do with that father, you know, then he's just as bad as my earthly father. I want nothing to do with him either. Anthony didn't serve prison time, but was put on 10 years of supervised probation. It didn't change things other than the fact that it, I, I think I became worse then, hardened my heart even more. Over the next 15 years, Anthony sold and used drugs. He also married and had two children. But neither the money, a cocaine high, nor a family were ever enough. For me, I always was, uh, you know, just wanting that, that I meant something to somebody. And, and I, I never thought I did. I mean, I just felt like nothing, it didn't matter. What was the need to even live? Because I didn't mean, nobody would miss me. Then one day in October of 2007, Anthony was on his way to pick up a stash of cocaine when he took a wrong turn into a church parking lot. That's where I heard a voice. At first I heard my name and I was, just like, you know, what is going on? And didn't quite understand. And it was just a, a voice that I, I heard say that you don't have to do what you're getting ready to do, that I can provide all your needs. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't want none of this. It's a, you know, I don't want anything to do with church, anything to do with, you know, God. And he's like, Anthony, I never hurt you. I asked him right there, I, you know, I, I don't even know if you're real. I said, if you, if you are real, I said, uh, kill me or change me. And um, that's when I was, I, I felt the, the void filled, that I felt the pain leave. And uh, I felt accepted. I felt loved and I felt a father. That's what I had been missing all my life. There was, there was no words to describe how I felt right now everything that I had been chasing for 35 years, I found in, in that instant. Anthony says that day he was instantly delivered from his addiction and walked away from his life as a dealer. He started going to church again, and as he studied God's truth, 
you found acceptance and healing. I'm still on that journey, and I'm not finished yet. That He's still doing a lot in me. Today, Anthony leads a ministry in Smithfield, Virginia, that helps men find emotional healing. I know who I am today and whose I am today, and that's something I was always chasing for 35 years. And, and uh, that, to me, is the most amazing thing when, when you, uh, you know your father. You know? And so I, I found my father that day in the parking lot. Good morning. You'll find out one thing about me. I, um, it's not so much that I care about what people think about me, but I do care about what they think about him, and he deserves all the credit in my life. If you uh, look at the shirt uh, I have on, um, it says Godfidence. See, I'm not so confident in me and the things that I do, but I am confident in him and the things that he's doing in me, that he never gives up on us. And uh, although I was not in pursuit of him, he was always in pursuit of me. And that story shares a little bit of my testimony. And this morning, I, I, I want to share just a little bit more of it and, and then talk to you about how my connection um, uh, came about with Salem Fields Community Church and uh, what God is doing in my life and my family's life today. Um, um, I was introduced to, to church at a very young age. My um, mother actually became pregnant at 17 years old. And uh, she met a man while she was pregnant, who um, she ended up marrying. And um, ever since I was born, I've known him as dad, but he wasn't my biological father. And uh, at the time when she um, got married, he was in Bible college, and he's actually a pastor. So I grew up knowing a lot about church and God um, early on in life. And I saw the good sides, and I saw the bad sides. And there were good times early on, but when it became bad, it became very bad. And, and um, by the time I was a teenager, my parents had uh, divorced and split, and um, by then, I had already been involved in a lot of things, and um, so once they split, I ended up leaving and, and living on the streets of Newport News in Hampton, Virginia, and when you live on the streets, you just sort of go with what the streets do, and I got plugged in to, with some people that I should have never got plugged in with and got involved in gangs and drugs and alcohol. and. Um, started uh, getting covered in tattoos. Uh, I like to say that I, at the time, uh, I didn't know who I was or whose I was, so I was trying to create an identity, an image, because I allowed the enemy to steal my identity from a very early age. And um, so I covered myself with tattoos, and, and uh, I was in and out of juvenile detention centers as a juvenile, and then at 18 years old, I was facing 40 years in federal prison. I didn't understand. I, I knew about God, but I never had that personal relationship with God. And, and when I was set up for this uh, crime that I didn't commit, it really upset me a lot because I, I thought about if, if there really was a God, why would he allow me to be going through what I'm going through when I'm innocent? And when you think about how innocent he was and what he went through when he came to take our place. He did that for us because he loved us that much. But I didn't even know what love was at 18 years old. And I was looking for something. I was looking for acceptance. And I thought the streets was where I would find that. I thought there's people that said they were my friends or were really my friends, and, and yet they weren't. Even they were hurting me. And I had made a decision. I said, I'll never become that. I'll, I'll never be abusive to, to a wife. I'll never, you know, do these things as a child. I, I always said that. And then I became everything I said I never wanted to be. 
I also said I would never step foot in church. I'm thankful for some of the nevers. <laughs> and it's amazing. I, I mean, I, I'm just like in awe about standing up here, to be honest with you. Uh, um, it's humbling. I never saw this in my future. Never wanted anything to do with church and God. I, I, I was hurt by church at an early age. But, you know, I, I believe that sometime God wants to take you back to the hurting place so he can take you to the healing place. Because the same place that I was hurt was the same place that God healed me when I pulled in that parking lot that day. Um, I was facing the 40 years in, in federal prison, and it says I didn't pull prison time, but I was incarcerated for two years. And um, those two years did a lot of thinking. But it didn't change me. In fact, I got worse, and I came out of uh, prison and ended up in Smithfield, Virginia, went back to Smithfield, um, and I met my wife, and uh, me and my wife have been now together for 23 years. Um, that's a challenge in itself right now. Uh, you know, nowadays, staying married is, is a challenge. You can go out here and see signs that say divorce 199. The value of marriage has just been lost, that we don't fight for things. I can tell you I have not been in the marriage the entire 23 years, however she has. For 13 of those years, I was married to Anthony. And I was very selfish. In fact, one of the tattoos on my hands that says self-made, that describes my life before Christ. It was all about me and what I wanted. And I never gave anything to anything else other than Anthony. But I didn't know how to give. You can't give what you didn't have. And I had never encountered really love. Everybody that said they loved me in my life had hurt me. And so me and Rachel, we ended up getting married. We have two kids. Uh, my son Tristan is with us today. Uh, he's 13. And then we have a, a daughter, Bobby, who's 21 years old. <coughs> I was uh, sharing last night. If you want to know how to pray for me, there's your answer. I have a 21-year-old daughter. <laughs> um, I need all the prayers I can get. Not just for me, but for her. I was 21 once. And she's out there and she's running right now. And she's running hard. And, um, you know, I love her. I shared last night, it's not, my love is not based on what she does. My love is based on who she is. She's my daughter. See, his love for us is not based on what we did. It's based on who we are. We're his sons. We're his daughters. And he loves us. Simply because of that. There is nothing she could ever do that would change my love for her. In fact, the worst she does does not decrease my love. Now, sure, I may not be happy about it, but the more she does for me, I mean, it doesn't matter if I get the biggest Father's Day gift, if, although I would like if Bobby's listening somewhere, I knew Harley Davidson would be nice, but, <laughs> but, uh, but it would not increase my love for her. I simply love her because she's my child, and I'm thankful for that. And I know just as God didn't, give up on me that he's not going to give up on Bobby either. And he's going to continue to pursue her. And there's where I find my hope. See, I, I'm not so confident in me, but I am confident in Christ in me. And I know that what he's done for me, he can do for her too. And he will. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here, maybe you have someone that you've been praying for, you have someone, a family member, a, a son or daughter that has strayed, I want you to know that he never gives up and his arm is long enough to reach those that we think are the furthest away. You know, I, um, 
was living my life pretty fast. In fact, I was a drug dealer, like the story says, in Smithfield, Virginia, for over 15 years. I um, also owned a gentleman's club. I was a very worldly guy. Like I said, I had an image battle, and I, I started to create an identity and image, and I was covered in tattoos. I actually had four tattoos removed. I had tattoos on my face. I had over 30 tattoos covered up that were pretty bad tattoos. And I was out there living fast. I, I had what the world would say would bring you happiness. I had money with the club and selling, and I had women, and I was married and, and didn't even acknowledge the marriage, to be honest with you. I was married by the name. You know, how many of you know you could be married and not be married? You know, you could be sitting in church right now but not be in church. See, I want you to be here today. Not because you've been forced to, but because you want to. That comfort thing, like the young lady was talking about in, in, the, in the song about coming out of your comfort zone, I want to tell you that when we come out of our comfort zone, we actually step into his comfort zone. And that's a wonderful place to be. I want today for you to open up, for, for you to allow God to just minister in the areas that he wants to minister to. One of the things as I was coming in Friday, and I'm, I'm man, I, I love this weekend, has given me an opportunity to rest and stay in a motel. We went on vacation a couple weeks ago. Me and my family went camping. I'm going to tell you, that's not a vacation, that's work. <laughs> this weekend has been a vacation where we can come and just be blessed by this church to, to put us up in a motel room and find the rest that we so much need as a family sometimes that we, even as in ministry, you don't get the rest sometimes that you need. And so I'm thankful for this church. God bless y'all. Thank you for your hospitality and everything this weekend has been amazing. And um, in my life, living fast came to an end on October the 17th, 2007. <coughs> I was actually en route to buy some drugs. And the reason I was going to get those drugs at the time was 10 months prior, me and my wife had split. I actually left her and uh, moved out because I didn't think I wanted to be with her anymore because I kept hurting her. And I'm like, how can you love somebody and hurt them? One night I, I went home to visit the, the, the kids and that night she asked me, she said, do you ever think you gave us 100%? And I said, well, yeah, I believe I gave 100. And, and um, she said, well, do you just not want to be married? And I said, well, no, I want to be married. I just don't want to be married to you. I said, I don't love you. And it crushed her. And the reality was I didn't know what love was. And I left that night, and I, and I began to think over the next course of a couple weeks about what she had said about the 100%. And I said, you know, I've never given anything in my life 100% other than me. Thank you. And I said, if my marriage fails, I don't want it to be because I didn't give 100%. So I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to give 100% to this marriage. And, and when I went back home, I, I had left the lifestyle. So that lifestyle, now I had no income coming in. And so bills were piling up. And so that Wednesday, October the 17th, 2007, I needed some money. And the only way I knew to make money and make it quick was to go back to selling. So while I was en route, to go buy some drugs, I ended up taking a wrong turn, which ended up being the right turn. And I ended up in the parking lot of a church. 
And there in that parking lot is where I started the most important relationship of my life. And because of that relationship is why I have all the other relationships in my life today. Because I met the bridegroom, he is teaching me to be a husband. I met a father, and he's teaching me how to be a father. I met a friend, and he's teaching me how to be a friend. I met love in that parking lot, and he's teaching me how to love. I didn't know how to give love before. But then I encountered it, and it was an amazing thing because when I pulled in and I heard this voice, I had never heard anything like that before in my life. Look, I've used drugs and never heard voices like that. <laughs> I thought maybe I got gypped and didn't have as good of drugs as I thought I did. But this voice was so real. It was so real. And it was a voice that, uh, when he said my name, it was someone who knew me. It was not a stranger, but it was someone who knew me. And I sat there and I said, God, I said, if you're real, I said, kill me or change me. And he answered both my prayers in that parking lot because he killed the old Anthony and he changed my life forever. I'm thankful for answered prayers. You know, this morning you can say the same thing. God, kill me or change me. As we were coming here Friday, I got the news that a friend of mine had been killed. Um, and in Smithfield right now, the, the heroin epidemic is, 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 is pretty wide open and it's killing people left and right. And so I've seen lives lost recently. And, and uh, in fact, I was thinking about this and, and I was thinking about a story that happened recently um, with an um, individual who was coming to the garage ministry. I do a ministry now in Smithfield, Virginia called The Garage. And it's, uh, some people say, hey, man, do y'all work on cars there? Well, spiritual cars, yes. <laughs> we do tune-ups. <laughs> we do alignments. I mean, we can definitely get out here on this road and hit a lot of potholes and need an alignment. And God does spiritual alignments and tune-ups there every single Tuesday. The amazing thing is we've been, we've been doing this ministry now for August. It'll be seven years, and we've seen a new person every single Tuesday for seven years. In a, in a little, small garage. Imagine what he could do with the big spaces if we give them to him. That's all he wants is us to give it to him. A lot of times people ask me, man, they said, is it difficult doing what you do? No, it's not really difficult. All I do is I go in the eye and lock a door. And then I get out the way and I say, God, do what you want to. And that's what I want to, to happen today is I just want God to do what he wants to in the lives here. This man started coming to the garage a couple of times and, and uh, ended up committing suicide. And um, the family had called me and, and asked, and I didn't know the family at the time. They asked if I would come and, and pray with the family, and I thought that was an honor. They were part of a church, and they didn't call the church or the pastor to come. And I was like, man, they're calling me. And I did not pretend to understand what they were going through and have the words to even bring the comfort that they needed and so I, I was praying as I was driving there. I said, God, please help me to give the words to this family, to bring the comfort and the peace that they need. And, and uh, as I got there, I was listening to the conversations going on, and there was one conversation in particular that was happening that really stood out. And it was between two, two uh, young ladies. One um, was talking about how she walks into the room and places, and she just starts moving things around. And in her view, she's, she's making things better. And so when it came time to pray, that stood out. And I told the family, I, I said, I don't, 
I don't want y'all to think that I have the words to bring the peace and the comfort that y'all need right now. But a story stood out to me that two young ladies were sharing. And I, and I told them the story. And I said, well, I know someone else that just has a way of walking into the room and moving what needs to be moved and making things better. See, Jesus can walk into the room, into the situations of our lives, and he can move the things that need to be moved, and he can make it better. What I'm saying this morning is, would you let him walk into your situation? Would you allow him to walk into the room, move in you what needs to be moved, and just make things better? I'm a very, uh, I'm into illustrations, and so I like visuals, because people then can sort of relate with the visual. I'm a pretty visual person. Uh, I tell ki kids I'm like a giant coloring book. Um, and they, they like that. Some cry. Um, uh, that one right there in particular. No, just messing. Um, but I, I really like visual things. And at the garage ministry, it's just been an honor to do this ministry. Um, early on, before, before I even started doing ministry, I, just, I was going to church. I got involved in small groups and stuff, and, and um, then someone in one of the small groups said, hey, we'd love for you to lead small group the next seven weeks. And I was like, no, not me. I don't like being in front of people. I don't really like talking. And he says, Anthony, you can do it. And someone believed in me, and I needed that. And so seven weeks turned into, well, a lifetime of speaking and sharing Jesus with others. and, and uh, at that time, I was doing things, and, and I, I just wanted to do more. And so one day, I'm, I'm talking to God, and I tell people, I say, you know, me and God have this relationship where, you know, it's not King James, you know, where I'm thy Lord God. Cometh closer. It's not like that. But he speaks to me in a way that I can understand. And in fact, this particular day, I felt God saying that, you know, your love is okay for the church you're going to and for the things you're, you're doing. But your love's too shallow for where I want to take you. And I didn't understand. So he began to, to speak to me in a way that really helped me understand. When I was selling drugs, depending on the amount of drugs that I had on me, if I were to get caught with a little bit of drugs, that's considered possession. But it's considered personal use because it's a small quantity. God said, you're possessing, but it's personal. But if I were to get caught with a large amount of drugs, that's possession with the intent to distribute. God said, I want, to, I want you to possess so much that you share with everybody you come in contact with. That I could understand. I was like, wow, God is good. In fact, I enjoy moments like this. You know, we come here to get recharged, right? Well, in the drug world, what we used to call when we were low and out, we, we call it going and reading up. This is your day to re-up so that you can go out and distribute to this world that needs him, right? So I love, I love, I love reading up. I love being energized. but uh, So he speaks to me in ways that I can understand, and so I like to speak to people in ways they can understand. And so one Tuesday, uh, I got there to the garage early, and I said, man, I just want to share with people about how, how good he is because it's his goodness that leads us to repent, right? And once you encounter the real thing, it's hard to, to, to want anything else. I mean, once you've ate real pizza, it's hard to eat frozen pizza, you know, we were blessed to go out Friday night. Pastor Kelly took us out, and, and we, you know, my son had some real pizza, you know. And, you know, sometimes the world, you know, try to give you the counterfeit, you know, the frozen stuff, and they try to call it names even like DiGiorno, but it's still frozen, <laughs> you know. 
try to make it sound good, but it, it, it's frozen. Even in, even in coffee, coffee drinkers, man, instead of sugar, they give you a substitute and they call it equal. <laughs> There's no equal to the real thing. And so I was like, I just, I just want people to see, the, you know, an illustration. So I was going to grab a, a real Coca-Cola can because Coke has the slogan, nothing but the real thing. And I was going to grab a counterfeit, a knockoff brand. And so this is the exact can I grabbed four years ago out of the fridge in the, in the, in the garage. And I pulled it out, grabbed it. I was going to show the guys the illustration. And then I was just going to grab a, a regular Coke can out. So I, uh, I reached into the fridge and I... I didn't realize God can speak through everything, even a Coke can. And so I was like, you got to be kidding me. I pulled this Coke can out, and on the side of the cans, it has words on the side of the cans. I didn't realize that four years ago that they did that. So I pulled this Coke can out, and this was what was on the side of the can. Or a friend. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> this is a joke. So I reached in, and I grabbed the second can, and I pulled out the second can, and this was on the side of the second can. Dad. And I realized when you find the real thing, you find a friend. When you find the real thing, you find a dad. Let me tell you, you can look and look and look, and you'll never find those things on the counterfeit. It's only in the real thing that you're ever going to find those things. It's his goodness that leads us to repent. There's a couple passages of scripture I wanted to uh, just share with you this morning. And um, we can pull them up. One of the first passages out of Matthew 22, 36 through 39. And it says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And to love others the way you love yourself. Well, some of us, we love ourselves. But some of us, that's pretty hard to do. How do you love others when you don't love yourself? See, I found that hard to do because I didn't love myself. And then Jesus helped me. Because in another passage of scripture, in John 13, 34, this is what Jesus says. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. He says, Anthony, love others the way I first loved you. Now, I didn't even really understand what that meant. Until a couple years ago, when I found out that I told you my mother was pregnant at 17 years old. Well, I found out at 17 she was raped. She was raped by her stepfather. The man that I know as Grandpa was my biological father. The man was mean growing up, and now I understood why. This particular morning, on a Monday morning, I was ministering over in Newport News at a place called Youth Challenge. And that morning, I was reading a passage of Scripture, and that passage of Scripture was out of Romans 8, verse 15, and it says, For ye have not received a spirit of bondage to fear again, but ye received a spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. That passage became so real to me 
that day. I had no idea that when I left there, I was going to find out when I went to visit my mom what I found out. And that's enough to destroy most people. That day I left there, my mom, amazing individual, who fought to give birth to me, even in the worst of situations. And here's what I got to say about life. That if God chooses to place life inside of an individual, then there's a purpose to that life. See, what the devil may have meant for bad, God can work for the good. See, here's what I've learned. My identity is not in the stuff that I've done. And it's not in the stuff that was done to my mother. My identity is in Jesus Christ. See, when I pulled into the parking lot that day, I met my father. I met my dad. And I continue to meet him every single day. It hasn't stopped. And I need him every single day. What I'm saying is I don't know where you're at, but I can tell you this, this could be your parking lot experience today. That you may have come saying, man, I'm just going to church to hear some, I don't know, did not expect somebody to look like him up here. I get that a lot. You're a pastor. I say, you should try being me. <laughs> Nobody is more shocked than me when I wake up and I'm like, <laughs> but that should bring hope to every single one of you that if God can use me, <laughs> you're good to go. You're good to go. And he wants to use you. He loves you. He knows everything about you. He knows all about your past, everything. He knows what you've done last night. And you know what's amazing? He still wants everything to do with you. Because some of you in here know what you did last night. And you're thinking, man, why would he want anything to do with me? You know why? Because it's not based on what you do. It's based on who you are. The night I was ordained as a pastor, my grandfather at 79 years old gave his life to Christ. I made a decision to love him. That day when I rode home, I, I got home and I went into the bedroom and I began crying and I said, God, help me. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to become bitter. And I felt God say, you won't. See, there's no room for bitterness in your life because my sweetness runs all through you. And I understood right then my identity. I understood that I was adopted. And adoptions, the parents pick the child. But there comes a time in our lives where we have to pick the parent and we have to say, yes, I choose to let you love me, but I choose to love you back and I choose to call you dad. That day I made a choice to love him back and call him dad. And see, what my grandfather needed in his life was not Anthony's love. What he needed was Jesus' love. God said, you don't love him like you love you, Anthony. You love him like I love you. And I was able to love on my grandfather and my grandmother. And my grandmother at 82 years old gave her life to Christ. People say the hardest people to reach are your family. And I would agree if you're doing the reaching. But it's not so difficult if you let God do the reaching. We have to let God reach. Use us. Now, this Bible, some of you are like, why in the world is he carrying a pink Bible? Well, because I can. <laughs> huh, how you like that? No, actually, a few months ago, my, my daughter, I told you she's making some bad decisions. She, she made a bad decision, and she chose to drink and drive. And 
She was in an accident. I was upset. The next day, so upset that I couldn't even go to work. And that morning, I was talking with my wife, and I said, I just, I feel, I, I'm going over to the Christian bookstore, and I'm going to buy a Bible. And my wife's like, what? You have tons of Bibles. And I said, this one's not for me. And I really felt God saying, I want you to go buy a Bible, not for you, but for your daughter. And for the next year, I want you to read for her. See, Bobby right now is, is in a place where she's paralyzed spiritually, and she's not capable of reading. However, you can read for her. So I went, and there was this pretty pink Bible. Flowers on the pages, but it also had these wide margins on the side. And that was important to me so that I could write something daily to my daughter, little love notes and stuff, that one day when I finish this, I can present it to her and she can look inside and see the love notes I've wrote, but she can see the love letter that her father wrote to her. That's why I carry a pink Bible. There are some of you here right now, you need to leave here today and you need to go buy a Bible for someone and you need to fight for them. Don't give up. See, they're right now in a place where they can't move themselves. There's a story in the Bible where it talks about four men and went and got that paralyzed guy and they carried him to go see Jesus. And then they get to the house and they can't even get in because there's so many people. You know me, I would have stopped there. I'd have been like, okay, done deal. Tired over. But it didn't stop them. And they climbed on the roof. And then they get on the roof and they dig through the roof. And then they lower him down at the feet of Jesus. Here's what I'm saying is there are people out there that are paralyzed. However, we can go and we can lift them up and we can carry them and we can place them at the feet of Jesus. That's outreach. That's, what, that, that's, that's loving others the way he loved us. That's what it's about. In Salem Fields, I know y'all are about outreach because I met Pastor Kelly that's how the connection came about. He was there to um, sort of figure out what they were going to do with this building there in Smithville, Virginia. And Christian Outreach reached out to him and said, hey, we, want, we would like to connect you with a guy named Anthony. I know it's crazy. But what the amazing story is, in the community where I was once part of the darkness, a drug dealer, today I get to bring light. The same community. Last year, I was selected as citizen of the year. <laughs> I was like, well, y'all got that wrong. You get a call from the town of Smithville, you think you're in trouble. They say, we need to talk to you. I was like, uh-oh. And when this lady showed up, she said, every year we select somebody, a citizen of the year, to come and do the grand illumination and light the Christmas tree downtown. I'm like, we have a grand illumination? <laughs> and for 40 years, they've been doing this. And I'm like, that just shows how much we don't know because we choose not to know. The only way you're going to get to know is by getting out there to know. What an honor to come and do that. But it was spoke more to me about what God is doing in my life. It's bigger than lighting a tree. It's about lighting everywhere you go. See, the problem in this world is not the darkness. The problem in this world is the lack of light. In the absence of light, darkness prevails. We're called to be the light. 
Light illuminates. Light eliminates and light captivates. It sets the captives free. That's what we're called to do. That's what love does. It eliminates, it illuminates, and it captivates. That's what his love does. And it changes you. See, when you believe in Jesus, you're saved. But when you realize that Jesus believes in you, you're transformed. I needed someone to believe in me back then. And he believed in me. And it has transformed me and has changed my life forever. God has opened doors for me to do amazing things. I also have a dream job. I work for the Navy. Now, convicted felon at 18 years old. People say, never going to happen. With God, all things are possible. He opened the door for me to get this job. You're not supposed to have tattoos on your neck or your hands, and, and yet I'm there, and the people are like, how in the world did this happen? And so one particular day, I'm walking into the galley where everybody eats their lunches, and there's TVs, and they're watching. Uh, they, they love to watch the prices, right, each day? But right before the prices, right, is a show called The 700 Club. And that segment was playing as I walked in that morning. There was my story on the screen. And as you can imagine, people were like. And I was like. That looks like me. And a guy asked, he said, man, that, why are you here? You're not supposed to be here. And I said, I hear that, I hear that a lot. So explain to us, how did you, you get this job? And right on the spot, this is the only thing I could think of. Do y'all know who Donald Trump is? And everybody in the place is like, do you know that Donald Trump's children have access to places simply because of who their father is? Well, I have a father that trumps all other fathers. <laughs> huh? I'm here because of my daddy. I owe him everything. I'm here in Salem Fields Community Church because of my dad. Outreach is my heart. That's what I love to do. But even I mess up. So in closing, I want to share a story with you about one of the outreaches we did in Smithville, Virginia. On a Tuesday night, some of the guys said, hey, let's go to Nike Park. The Nike Park is a, is a park there locally where they have skateboard ramps and bike ramps where kids come and skate and all. And so they're like, let's just go and uh, um, cook hot dogs and give away free hot dogs and water and just be a light in the dark and love on the, the kids and stuff. And so I was like, all right, cool, let's go. Of course, the guys are like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. Because if we just talk about it, that's all that's ever going to be is talk. But it's time that we start doing it. I said, so Thursday which was two days away. And they're like, Thursday? And I was like, yeah, Thursday. And so Thursday we went. We were setting up to start cooking, and as we're setting up, a young man approaches, and he's covered from head to toe in tattoos. And I'm real leery of people with tattoos. <laughs> Everybody should be laughing right now. That's a joke. And he came up, and he said, uh, man, he said, Whose van is that? That's the craziest van I've ever seen, man. And, and I was like, that's mine. And, and at the time, I drove this Astro van. 
and it was four-wheel drive, and it was jacked up, and it had big wheels, and it was odd-looking, but I'm odd-looking, so it worked well together. And he was like, man, that's the coolest van I've ever seen, man. And he said, would you mind if I go get my fiance and, and show it to her? And I said, sure, man. I said, we're getting ready to set up and start cooking, and y'all welcome to come over and eat. It's free. And, and so um, they start walking back over, and I notice as they're approaching that the young lady is covered from head to toe in sores. And my first reaction was, I don't want her nowhere near me. Is she a drug addict? Is, does she have AIDS? Whatever it is, she looks pretty bad, and I don't want what she has. And there was a check inside my spirit. I felt God say, why are you out here? Nobody knew this but me and God. Most of the guys there would have said, man, Anthony is the bomb. Yeah, I'm a bomb, all right. At that moment, I felt God say, you don't want her nowhere near you, but she needs you near her. She came over to where we were cooking, and after a couple times, she began to share with us why she had all these sores. Well, that December, she was diagnosed with cancer, and she has this disorder where her blood cells are fighting each other, and it literally pushes her blood to the surface, and she bleeds through her skin. So now the same young lady who I wanted nowhere near me, I just wanted to hug her. I just wanted to let her know that everything was going to be okay. So I asked her, I said, would you mind if I pray for you? And she looked at me like, you pray? <laughs> Must have been the tattoos. Huh? And I asked her a second time, I said, would that be okay? And she, she said, sure. I reached out my hand and I placed it on her shoulder and I began to pray and she collapsed and started crying. Afterwards, all the guys started coming over, and they're like, man, Anthony, man, we want to be just like you, man. You're awesome. And I said, no, I'm not. Let me tell you how I felt. And I shared how I felt. Some of them were shocked that I would be that real. I think God wants me to be that real so that y'all see how real he is. See, I'm in just as much need of a Savior as anybody. I'm guilty of judging me, of all people, we should know better. All of us are guilty of judging at some time in our life. And here I was, so focused, thinking, we're going to go reach these kids. But I almost missed the real reason we were there. See, a lot of times our focus gets like this, and I believe God wants it to be like this. The next day on Friday... I was at work hanging out talking to dad and he gave me a poem. I want to share this poem with you. It was Thursday evening we went to Nike Park to minister light to those in the dark. We were setting up when this couple drove in a young woman approached with sores on her skin. Was she contagious? Would I get what she had? Whatever it was, she looked pretty bad. See, in the natural is how I saw her at the start. But it didn't take long for God to work on my heart. We were there to give. Nothing had to be bought. A lesson was being learned and I was being taught to always let God lead me, both my steps and my sight, and then I would truly be a light. So remember the next time you see someone with tattoos, scars, or sore, what Jesus Christ came here for. For all had sinned and fell short of his glory. It was his scars that saved me. That's the moral to this story. Look, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here today.
but I didn't come alone. See, Daddy came with me. And he wants you to know that. If I could just have the, the pastors come forward and uh, the praise team come up. and um, What we want to do is, hey, can I come down there? I don't know where you're at and what you've been through. But he does. And he loves you. He loves you. And he just wants to have a relationship with you. And once you realize your identity, it does something that changes you forever. It gives you access to go places you never thought simply because of who your dad is. Do you know you have a dad that trumps all other dads? And he loves you. This morning, I just want to pray with you. For whatever it is, maybe you've, you've been walking a while, but you've sort of fell off. And you just want to get back. You know, in the garage, we do do spiritual tune-ups and stuff. One of the things I like to tell the guys is we also do overhauls. You know, work can be expensive. Working on cars, working on bikes can be expensive stuff, right? And what stops us from having the work done a lot of times in our life is the price. We just can't afford it. So you go into the shop and they say, hey, you need a brand new motor. And it's going to cost you $5,000 and you don't have that. But what if you walked into the shop this morning and, and they said, you're going to need a brand new motor and it's going to cost $5,000, but guess what? You don't have to pay for it because someone already paid for it for you. Why, well, you'd be a fool not to take advantage of that. But here's the thing. They will not start the work until you authorize them to do the work. Even though it's paid for, you have to want that work to be done. What I'm telling you this morning is it's paid for. I don't know if you come in here and you need a tune-up. Maybe you just need your tires rotated or in alignment. But maybe you came in here today and you need a complete overhaul. I want to tell you, no matter what it is, it's been paid for. But it's up to you to say, okay. Okay, do the work in me. Will you let him do the work in you this morning? So we want to be up here with you to pray with you for whatever it is. Whether it's a tune-up, whether it's a complete overhaul. So, Pastor Buddy, if you would come up. As, this, as they're playing, we want to we stand here and look, even if you've got a loved one, fight for them. Come up this morning, stand in the gap for them, and I'll pray with you over for them. You know, my daughter's only behaving the way she thinks she is. But identity brings proper behavior. Once she realizes who she really is, she's going to behave differently. And it's up to me to help her know who she is. It's up to us to help this world know who they are. Man, you're his son. And you're his daughter. And he loves you. Would you let him love on you this morning?
Maybe today, you know, you're here and you came to the altar and you're praying about something that you wanted God to do in your life. And maybe you came and you received Christ as your Savior. But I believe there might be people here today that need to meet their father. You need to, you made the right turn today, the wrong turn today, and you ended up here. Uh, and didn't even know Anthony was going to be here. But God has spoken to you about where you're at with him. And you'd like to have a personal relationship with him. You'd like to know him as your father. 
and know him as your Savior. If that's you today, I'd like to pray this prayer with you, and you can pray it back with me as I pray it. With all of our heads bowed, let's pray this. If you would like to know Jesus today, if you'd like to meet your heavenly Father today and have a personal relationship with him, just pray this prayer with me. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it out loud. Just pray it with all your heart with faith. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. Jesus, I ask you right now to forgive me of all of my sins. I invite you into my life to be my Savior. The Bible says as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. And it says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ was raised from the dead, we shall be saved. And I want to tell you today, if you prayed that prayer and you believe in your heart, you are saved. That you have been adopted by your heavenly Father. And you are a son, a daughter of the Most High God. And so we just thank him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Now, with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed and no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer this morning, Gay and I are going to look around. You just want to say, God, I made a commitment to you this morning, and I am serious about it, and I want you to know, know it, God, and, and Gay's going to pray for us after that. But would you just, uh, if you prayed that prayer, would you just slip up your hand today? Anybody like that today? Yep, see your hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Yes, in the back. God bless you. Is there anyone else that would say, yes, I see your hand, sir. God bless you. You can put them back down. Anyone else? God bless you. He's going to pray for you now. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Your presence has been here. Father, we have seen the power of your salvation, people receiving your salvation, Lord, and Father, we thank you so much that you love us just the way that we are. So you've met with us. We thank you for uh, the power that has been displayed in Anthony's life and in Rachel's life and his family's life, Lord. Uh, the transformation that can happen in you when we truly understand you as our Father and accept you and receive you as our Heavenly Father. God, we just pray that you'll continue to work in the lives of Everyone here, for those online, God, we know that your power can extend beyond these walls. And we give you all the praise for what you've done here this morning. It's all about you, God. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, I'd like for you to go out to the tables. We leave. We're not leaving quite yet, okay? Just as soon as you go out to those doors, there's a table there. They have a salvation band that I wear all the time, and it will tell you all that God has done in your life today and help you understand that better. So I just encourage you to stop by there. Just in closing, I just want to share with you about Anthony and why he and his family are here today. Two years ago, two years ago in August, God gave us that property in Smithfield, Virginia. And uh, you, you uh, stepped out, many of you, in faith, and you gave uh, to help us make that dream become a reality. And uh, for two years, we've been been there. Jason went there, and uh, he he just worked uh, tirelessly to visit schools and visit businesses and do all that he could do. And we discovered some things that we felt like God wanted us to do in that uh, in that little town in that county. And um, and uh, we knew that God didn't want us to go there and just do another church because there's churches everywhere down there. But we knew God had called us there. 
And we figured all that out. And, uh, and then I came back, or came, one day Kelly came in the office. He said, you know what, I feel like I'm called to go to Smithfield. And he went down for four months. And he, and he came back, and he just felt like this is just not for me. It's not where I need to be. But he said, you know, he, he, but while he, was there, while he was there, he met Anthony and his family. And I believe with all my heart that's why Kelly was in Smithfield for four months, is to meet Anthony and his family. And, um, and so um, he has the same heart. He has the same vision uh, for that community that we have for that community. And we've been praying and praying and praying about partnering with him uh, to be the ministry lead there in um, Smithfield for Salem Fields Community Church. And, uh, you know, for two years, man, we again, I talk about, let's just give the building back. I don't want it anymore. Because <laughs> it, it had become a burden because we couldn't figure out what God wanted us to do with it. And we had run out of options. Darn it. But I'm telling you, if you're waiting on God, don't give up. Don't give it back. <laughs> Because God's got some plan for it. See, I want you guys to really get this. We as a community stepped out by faith. And he, that's what we do. That's what we've done all of these years is we step out by faith. And then we come to you and we say, hey, you guys, can you step out in faith with us? You connected with it both financially. We waited. I, I can tell you, I watched Buddy get out of the shower one morning in all of his glory. That's a, that's a wonderful experience. And this is where we do some of our best sharing. And he said, I believe that God is leading us to do something in Smithfield. And that it was has before been, we had the building. And that was before we had the building. And, and we, that opportunity came along. And so it's been grueling. And do you see how God provides? Do you see how God provides through a series? And Anthony's here today. And so this is, this is Smithfield. This was one of the three big ones of rebuild. You remember that? rebuild two years ago and we're all part of this so you just stay tuned god is up to something and he's got all of us leading the way in that so it's pretty exciting here this morning so i feel led to say this you know what there's a lot of times in our past we've stepped out in faith and people think that you ought to have this plan you ought to know and we can only do one step at a time uh, but i knew that when i met anthony for the very first time he didn't tell us but he's the one that does the homeless shelter that we went down a few weeks ago and worked at. But the first time I met him, he was on the floor working on a hot water heater, uh, fixing a leak in that. And, uh, and it's just been an amazing journey. So we just believe that God to this point has led us to continue to step forward. We want you to meet Anthony and his family and know them and know that as you give to rebuild, it's going to a great cause. And if you'd like to connect with that, you still can do that. Yeah, and I want to say Anthony might get a lot of the attention but you check in with Rachel. That is a gutsy woman right yes. there. So <laughs> give, give her a little boost as well. So thanks, you guys. So they're going to go out. Y'all go. Get out. And they're going to be out there. And um, yes, if, if you'd like to talk to them, they'll be out there. He likes to talk. So uh, yeah, you, you could go out and talk to him. Okay. Thank Father, you. thank you for this day. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a wonderful day. And uh, wait on God. He's not finished. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back.